Hello and welcome. I'm Jules B., your host of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. Go with me behind the scenes as I dive into the lives of our guests. Each episode will feature unconventional questions that invoke joy, sorrow, and sometimes silence. Come on in, take a seat, and let's start this conversation. Okay, Robert, again, welcome to the Label Free Podcast. I am so glad that I found, or you found us, a true corporate spy. Oh, my God. That sounds so mysterious. So it does. It does. So what I found out about you is that this is your, you wrote books. You have several out there. Ruth, okay? And that's the story of you becoming the world's greatest corporate spy, although you were a wannabe actor, and so you've received praise, I mean praise, praise. You, you've gotten praise from what the former CIA agent Valerie claimed of fair game, yep, Bradley, yep. Hope, Bradley Hope, the billion dollar whale. And so you had a previous book, Malibu Burning, the real story behind L.A.'s most devastating wildfires. And you won a SoCal Journalism Award, an Ippy Award, and the Best of L.A. Award. I mean, you are all over the place. So you've been featured in some of the most popular podcasts, and I hope ours will be another one in the country. And you, you're the creator uh, and host of Soho House Literary Salon at Soho House Malibu. Now, you've done a lot, especially being a spy. And I know I did not do you justice. What would you like to add to that? Well, you did me, you did me, you did me right. Let me just say that, Julie. So thank you. I'm grateful. Uh, no, I think you, you got plenty in there. You got plenty. So. What would you say is the most expensive lesson you learned while being a corporate spy? <laughs> well, I think the expensive the expensive lessons were learned by the people that I spied on. <laughs> they were the ones that you know uh, that you know I was making a lot of money from the corporate spying, but the corporations that get you know basically their information you know extracted. Uh, those are the people that kind of pay the price. And obviously, I've written this book, Ruth, now, um, and now I advise corporations and individuals on how not to fall victim to cybercrime, um, which, of course, as we all know, is getting worse and worse every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all we're all constantly being fished, scammed, hacked, duped, or what I like to call ruse. And yeah. Now, uh, not only does my book help people see how not to fall victim. But I speak um, on podcasts like yours um, and also at conferences. I also do keynote speaking where I basically give a lot of sometimes very simple tips on how not to fall victim. So being a corporate spy, is that something that you're told to me or is that actually a profession? Something that can be. No, seriously, is that something that can be taught? Like you, you hold classes on how to be a corporate spy, and then corporations hire these people to spy within their their company. I mean, how do you become a corporate 
spy? Is it because you were such a great actor? I don't know. Yeah, well, that that's a fantastic question. Uh, and the truth is, is that I moved to New York to be an actor. Actors need survival jobs. Who stumbles into a survival job as a corporate spy? But that's what happened to me. Uh, it was a complete fluke and an accident. Um, but the woman who hired me, she had this small little spying firm, and she only hired actors um, because she needed people that could use voices, personas, create characters, create stories, could do accents, had strong improvisational skills to basically trick people inside major corporations into releasing private information and secrets that were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. A spying business? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, the job started out, when I started out, I was making $8 an hour. um, And at one point, that job went from $8 an hour to $2 million a year. You better hustle now. Oh, my God. And it's funny because on a lot of shows I talk about, I, I, I say, if you're looking to pivot, if you're looking to pivot from your current career into a new career, like many, many people are looking to do, I'm here to tell you, I can't be a corporate spy anymore because I outed myself by writing a book about it. But if you're looking to pivot to a new career as a corporate spy, it's very lucrative, and you can email me, and I'll give you the tips on how to go about it. Okay, could you email that to me? Because that's not great. <laughs> Send me that. Send me that email. Sign me up. I will spy. I don't. I do not mind telling on people, as long as long as you don't know my real name and different things. Oh my, that sounds so naughty. It was. It, look, I'm going to be honest with you. It definitely was naughty. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. and in the book, I and in the book, I deal with that. You know, I reckon with that. I reckon with the moral uh, and ethical issues. You know, as a younger guy, uh, I justified it. I said, hey, I'm pursuing my art as an actor, and so I, this is what I need to do to do it. And, and you know, and I did a lot of justification or rationalization, like we all do when we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and then at, at a certain point, my kid heard me one day, you know, rusing on the phone and basically called me out on it. And that was the moment where I realized that I, I had to get out of this business. I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and now I've written a book about it. Um, and so I've, I've kind of turned, you know, the, you know, the, the negative parts of what I did into a positive because now I advise people. Talking about it, uh, right. Yeah. And I'm saying, look, you know, corporate spying is everywhere. It is endemic to corp- forget about corporate America. It's endemic to global business. Uh, and also individuals because we're all getting, you know, people are trying to dupe us all, ruse us all every single day. And right. so there are a lot of tips in the book and, and when I speak about, you know, simple things that we can all do to prevent, you know, mitigate um, the risk of falling victims to, you know, uh, the ruse. Wow. So, you know, I'm really interested in what you what you've done, because when you talk about spying, is this is this you going in and acting like you're an employee of the company? And finding this out, or is this more so things that you're doing over the phone where no one can see you? So because right. of that you 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 spy in a different way, but it is kind of even more relaxed because you don't have to be in someone's face. 
Well, that is so astute. That's exactly what we learned is that when we first started, we would go in person and we would go, you know, to a bar. We'd go to a conference. We'd pretend to be with the firm. You know, we'd go to an event. But what we quickly learned is that we were able to get far more information using the anonymity of the phone call because on the on the phone, you could say you're anywhere. And remember, corporations nowadays, you know, they have offices in Tokyo, in Germany, in Charlotte, in Dallas, San Francisco. Yeah, they're all over the world. You know, so this is Gerhard calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. We have the European Union regulators on the, the line and the Eastern information from the state. And the people go, oh, hey, hey, Gerhard, you, you, oh, you, you're with a uh, German office. Oh, yeah, you, you run compliant for Europe. Yeah, I've seen your name on some. Oh, yeah, hey, buddy, what's going on? How can we help you? Right. Because everybody is trained to be what? A good corporate teammate, a good player, you know, team, you know, you know, you know, you know, help each other out. And so now you're portraying yourself as somebody in a different location so that people can look you up and see you exist. They may even have heard of you. They may even have seen your name. They might even have spoken to you once, you know, but the odds of them really knowing you very slim. And so you're now basically getting someone because they believe you are an executive with the corporation to tell you anything that you want to know. Wow. That is scary, though. That's that's scary because of the simple fact that technology is so that you can just get information at the click button. So with with technology and the change and the convenience that it has become, how did that change the way that you had to spy on businesses or did that make it easier? Another fantastic question. Every single time some technology was invented, we thought it was the end of corporate spy. We thought, oh, my God, we're never going to be able to spy anymore. And actually what happened was that technology made it easier. <laughs> wow. We would, we would learn that technology and go, oh, wait a second. We're going to use this to our advantage now, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, and, and I'm here to tell you, you know, the, you know, you know, social engineering phone call, you know, what I call the ruse call is alive and well and in a very strange way making a comeback, right, because – as firms have done a better job protecting their systems, their server, the firewall, the encryption, right? They spent so much money protecting the corporation's technical assets, but they have done very, very little and a very poor job of training and educating their employees about the social engineering phone call. And if I can hack your people, I don't need yeah. to hack your system. That's right. That's very and so. And so that's what's going on today is a lot of the spying has gone back to kind of the old-fashioned phone call because the technical side has gotten more challenging. And so if I can call and I can get your people inside to tell me what I want to know or I can get enough information that then I can share with my, you know, my hacking partner, because um, a lot of times, you know, we hear a lot about ransomware attacks now, and the ransomware attacks are generally done by gangs, not one individual. And these gangs have like they have like Mission Impossible. They've got the, you know, the social engineering person and then they've got the hacking person and then they've got the financial instruments person. You know, that's the person that is going to make sure they get paid and they don't get caught, you know, in terms of how they get paid. Right. So there are yeah. all these different people on these ransomware gangs so that it's very sophisticated. And, and that's why, you know, corporations now, if they're not 
spending a lot of time and giving a lot of emphasis with their cybersecurity on the human element, they're eventually going to get burned, fished, duped, scammed, breached. Uh, it's inevitable. Wow. So you said something a few minutes ago about your son hearing you on the phone one day and it being a wake-up call for you or called you out on it, right? Yeah. Why My eight-year-old. Why did it take an eight-year-old to tell you something that you were doing as an adult was wrong? Well, that's Why a great question, right? That's the, that's the you know that's the proverbial million-dollar question. I mean, you know, I think what happens is is you know when you start doing something, and again, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, wow, we're getting eight dollars an hour, and uh, you know, we're actors, we're supporting our art. And, you know, I, these these Wall Street people don't deserve to make this kind of money anyway. Why 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 is this guy getting ten million dollars a year doing? For what? Like, you know, you know, you know, why shouldn't the poets and teachers and and firefighters and whatever get more? You know, anyway, rationalization, right? Rationalization, justification, and so, so in the beginning, that was kind of my rationalization, and then eventually, you do something long enough, you stop worrying about the moral part of it. You stop, you know, you kind of lose your compass, so to speak. And in the book, you know, I taught. There was a point in the book where I get lost, where I have the proverbial midlife crisis, you know, and this. That moment was kind of, you know, the come to Jesus moment where I mm-hmm. where I realized, you know, that I'd gotten off track, you know, and yeah. um, and I and I kind of, you know, lost myself a bit. Um, and um, and I'm really glad that my child called me out and I'm really glad that I found my way back. And I'm really glad that, you know, I yeah. wrote this book um, and I'm, I'm and I'm really happy that people they people that enjoy the book because they say it reads like a spy novel. Um, which is kind of a really cool thing because it, it, I think it does, but it's also everything in the book is true. You know, it's, yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not made up. It's a true story. Which is just phenomenal and fabulous. Two more questions, if you will. When you look back at your spying time, what do you think you sacrificed the most, although you were paid for it? You know, I, I just think a little bit uh, about integrity. You know, um, that I sacrificed, you know, my integrity, you know, I traded integrity for money, right, yeah. uh, which is a very common thing in the world, a very yeah, common yeah. thing, I think, in, in, American, in, in America, because, uh, you know, we're really about, you know, how much do you make, right? You know, the, the first thing when you meet somebody out somewhere, you know, what do you do? Uh, you know, what do you do for a living? And, and that answer tells people how much you make. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor, you know, I'm a plumber, whatever, right? We now know how much you make to some, you know, to some degree. And so, you know, I think that that was a trade I made. And like I said, I kind of explained some of the reasons for it. You know, I, I, when I went to college, I went to college with a lot of people that went into business and they made a ton of money in business. And, you know, here I was a broke actor and I was a working actor and I was doing a lot of great theater with, you know, big future stars like James Gandolfini from The Sopranos and, all kinds of, you know, great plays and a whole bunch of big TV shows, ER, NYPD, Blue, Melrose Place, Star Trek, you know, lead roles. Um, but it, all of a sudden it didn't kind of happen for me. I didn't kind of get to where I was hoping to get to with my acting career. And that was the moment where I really kind of, you know, you know, embraced the dark side, so to speak, and really went deep into corporate espionage. My husband always, has always wanted to be a spy, so I'm not going to tell him about <laughs> he, he will ask, so, who did you talk to today? And I have to remind myself not to say your name. Right? Oh, 
not because I don't like you, but because no. it will not stop. So here's my last question to you. And I ask everybody this. If you could relive, now you're here now, you were there before, but if you could relive any day in your life, even though you knew you could do nothing to change that day, all you could do was experience it again. Robert, what day would that be for you and why? Oh, man, I don't know. That is a really tough question. And I mean, I'm going to give you a, a, an answer you're not going to expect. I don't know. I don't know that it's the best answer in the world, but I love the outdoors. I love exercising. I love playing sports. I love surfing. And there was a day I had 20 some years ago where there was this ginormous fog bank that came into Southern California and the fog was so thick you could not see. You couldn't see the ocean. You could barely see the road. And my buddy and I, that day, we decided to go surfing. And um, so we go surfing. And, I mean, you basically can't even barely see to get out there. But because nobody could see, no one could see how good the waves were that day, how incredible the surf was. And once you were out there, you could actually see the wave. That was about all you could see. And so my buddy and I had this day surfing this very famous surf spot in Malibu. And we basically got to surf by ourselves for about three hours and rode these incredible waves. And I never, I've never forgotten that day. Wow. And that's the perfect answer because it was a perfect day for you, right? So there is no wrong. And no, it did not surprise me. People, people give me some interesting answers. And that's why I asked the question because it shows me a different part of them because it's a memory that they're willing to share with me. And I appreciate you for that. So those are all the questions that I have for you. I could talk to you for the next five years. <laughs> I love you. I really could. I could just sit there and you would just say, go away, Julie, please go. Quit asking me what, why, when, how. Quit doing it. But, you know, I, I digress. I have to be respectful of your time. So that's all the questions that I have for you today. Did you have any questions for me? No, you were you were a, a dream and a pleasure, and, and I thank you for your time. Oh, you are more than welcome. I couldn't have done it without you. And keep in mind that you had to show up for us to have this great conversation. So blessings to your children, blessings to anybody that supports you in your life, because you definitely deserve it. So in the meantime and in between times, keep in mind that we are not as divided as we are disconnected and enjoy the rest of this day and week. Okay. Thank you, dear. We'll talk soon. Yes, we will. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. We hope this conversation has reminded you of the power of your voice and the importance of taking the best steps to live a more fulfilled life. Make sure you like, follow, comment, and share. And for more content, check out the Label Free Podcast with our fabulous host, Deanna. And remember, we all have choices. We all have goals. We all make mistakes. But it doesn't have to be behind a label.